read God's Word together. I pray that it will not be discordant, uh, but we will see how much we need the Lord to rule over us, which Gideon saw. Judges chapter 8, Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. <clears throat> so he also spoke to the men of Penuel saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Karkar and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Noba and Jogbia, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Harris, and he called a young man of the men of Succoth, and interrogated him, and he wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and his elders, seventy-seven men. Then he came to the men of Succoth and said, Here are Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Then he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, They were my brothers, the son of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them, but the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. So Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were off their camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each one of you would give me the earrings from his plunder, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, We will gladly give them. So they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. 
Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, about 50 pounds, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were around their Midian and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more, and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Then Jerubbabel the son of Joash went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had seventy sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine who was in Shechem also bore a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon the son of Joash died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abizrites. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals. And made Belbaret their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel Gideon in accordance with the good that he had done to Israel. You may be seated. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We need the food of it. Uh, we need the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How in the world do you organize a chapter like this? Let me turn your attention to verse 22 again. I think this may be a good place to begin to kind of put together everything in here. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. We need a Lord. You and I mess up all the time. You need a Lord. You, we need the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Gideon, at some level, with all of his flaws that we see here, he recognized this. We must have the Lord to rule over us. To guide our lives, to be our shepherd. Our confession talks about having the Lord subdue us to himself because we are unruly. I think if you honestly think about your own life, you would agree, I, I do tend to be unruly. Uh, I do tend to seek what I want to do and somehow I think that the whole universe sometimes revolves around that. Or I get so agitated because I, I don't have something that I want or I think something's not right. I need the Lord to subdue me. I need the Lord to rule over me, to defend me, to protect me from the evil one, from Satan, from thoughts that get the best of me at times, from despair, from discouragement. I need the Lord to rule over me so that I don't lose hope. I need the Lord to rule over me so that I'm not afraid and that He will subdue my fears. Some of us have, and all of us at one level, have some hard things that the Lord wants us to do and we grow afraid. I don't know if I can do it, Lord. I don't know what will happen if I do it. If I launch off and go into this, I think so and so, such and such might happen. I might lose this relationship. I need for you to rule over me. And in fact, you remember, the Lord Jesus took this very much to heart because he's obviously the true hero of the book of Judges. He's the righteous king who has come. Why do you call me Lord and, and don't do what I say? And on the, the other side, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
You are my Lord. I surrender to you. I'm committed to you. And there's no way forward in our lives unless we make that commitment. With Gideon, so in that he's good, we must have the Lord to rule over us. But I think there's three or four ways here that this chapter shows how much they and we need the Lord to rule over us. In verses 1 through 3, very simply, look at how God's people bicker. In verses 4 through 17, look at the way some will do nothing to help. Verses 18 through 32, look at the way godly leaders like Gideon often fail. And in verses 33 through 35, look at the way we forget God's goodness and often go back to our old sins and idols So I hope you feel the weight of this tonight. If you don't remember anything, I need for you, Lord Jesus, to rule over me. I need for you to subdue my lust. I need for you to subdue my pride. I need for you to give me hope, help, um, so that I may serve you. Verses 1 through 3, there's an old squabble that comes up, and we can't spend much time with any of these. But as the battle's wrapping up, 120,000 dead, 10,000 are left. Gideon's rushing now eastward back over the Jordan. He's trying to catch Zeba and Zalmunna. And he calls on the, uh, if you look there in verse 1, the men of Ephraim to help. Now remember, Gideon was from the tribe of Manasseh. And so that old rivalry, Gideon and Manasseh, uh, excuse me, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of, of, of Joseph. And remember, Jacob switched his arms and now uh, Ephraim's got his back up again. Here's this upstart Manasseh. You know, he's wanting to take the, uh, the primary place and we're not going to help you. Now, wait a minute, I thought there's a common enemy here. Kind of reminds us of our interdenominational squabbles, doesn't it? Okay, well, you're not doing it just like we would like it, and so therefore we, we can't help. Notice how wisely at this point Gideon answers. He says, the, uh, the gleanings of your grapes are better than the full vintage of mine. And he says, hey, you've already captured Oreb and Zeb. I, I can't compare to what you've done. Not one level we would look at this and say, Gideon, man, you've led the 300. But notice it's interesting. Gideon is not concerned with getting praise for himself. Not at this point. I mean, his heart is very humbled. And it's a good reminder to us, dads and moms and, and elders and, and all of us in our land, that we don't want to be like Diotrephus. Remember in 3 John 9? You can look it up later. John says he loves to have the preeminence. He wants everybody to know the part that he played in this. And and this is one of the reasons we need the Lord. Because if we don't, we oftentimes want, I I need to be recognized. I I, want to have a a place here and, and to tell everybody what I've done in service to Christ. But remember, all the gifts that we have in the body, they're Christ's. They don't even belong to us. And we can't say, well, I'm just going to take my toys and go home. Or, or I, you know, I, I don't want to serve here unless I get recognized. That's exactly the opposite. Our Lord Jesus has already taught us, hasn't he? Let this mind, Philippians 2, remember these verses in the, in the quiet here for a moment. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. What mind was that? Even though he was the Son of God, He did not try to grasp after equality, which was his. You and I have nothing to boast in. He could claim equality with his father in all eternity, and yet he laid that aside and became the lowest of the low, a worm and no man. 
And, and he what humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And it, it was, it, in some respects, he said, this is the mind we're supposed to have. It's so liberating. when we, I, I'm not looking for the praise of others. I don't need to be recognized. I'm not serving because I get the crowns. I want to put them at the feet of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, any good in you and in us, in me, the slightest good, it is all a gift of God's grace. This is one reason we need the Lord to rule over us, because if not, pride tends to tear us apart. By the way, I would just call your attention to one verse if you're looking for things. Proverbs 15.1 comes to mind. A soft answer turns away wrath. So the, the children of Ephraim were very mad at Gideon. You didn't call us out, and Gideon answers very meekly. Boy, he could have thrown some real gasoline on that, couldn't he? He could have blown it up sky high. But he says, you know what, instead, I'm going to give y'all all the praise. I'll take none. And they were like, great, okay. Now, granted, the Lord will have to humble them in other ways. But for Gideon's part, that soft answer, it totally threw a bucket of cold water on their pride. And they were satisfied. But, you know, that's not the only way we learn that we um, need a Lord to rule over us, that we bicker. But notice in verses 4 through 17, and we can cover this somewhat quickly, Gideon needs help, and he goes to one city nearby, Succoth, and he says, hey, can we have some bread? We're hungry, you know, could you spare a loaf, you know, or two? I've just got 300 men, and, and, and we're chasing Zeba and Zalmunna, and they're like, uh, we don't see, it's, in Hebrew it's a little more vivid, their palms are not in your hand yet, you hadn't cut off their hands yet, and so until you do, we're not so sure whose side we want to throw on. Wait a minute, aren't you part of God's people? Are you standing back until you, I better not talk in my peer group too much about Jesus because I don't know which way it's going to go. I don't want to be the odd person out, so if I really stand up for Jesus in my friendship group and some of them go the other way, then I'll be the odd person out. That's what, that's what the men of, of Succoth were doing. Gideon says... Um, it's really interesting. He says, when I come back, I'm going to give you the switching of your life. I'm going to get briars that were nearby, and I am going to wear your bottoms out, okay? Grown men, and you know he did it too. Nearby, there was another city, Penuel, and they gave the same answer. And Gideon says, when I come back, I'm going to tear down this tower. Well, of course, he chases. The Lord does a mighty work there. He crosses, verses 4 and on down. Verses 10 and 11, it tells us that there's 10,000 left. Gideon meets them in battle, verse, 13, uh, verse 12, and they, they destroy the rest of the host. So again, a marvelous work of God again. How understated sometimes even the Lord is with His power right in front of us, 300 defeat 10,000. And he captures the two kings, verse 12. And then he's going to head back. He's like, I need to teach the men of Succoth and the men of Penuel a lesson. Interestingly, as a total side note, verse 14, outside of the city, he captures a young man and he says, hey, I need you to write down. That's the actual Hebrew verb here, not describe. I need you to write down a description of the elders of Succoth. Interesting, since the critics say there was no writing during this time period. Writing and reading were far more common uh, then the critics will allow because they would burn down civilization just so that we don't have to accept the Bible as God's Word. That's neither here nor there. So the man writes a description. Then Gideon goes back to the city and he takes the elders of the city, verse 16, and thorns from the wilderness and he gives them a switching. 
Uh, I don't know what to make of that. He was the judge. This was the punishment he determined was needed in this. It was more severe, verse 17, for the men of Penuel. He tore down their tower. Apparently they trusted in it and wouldn't help. And he killed at least the elders and perhaps all the men of the city. Um, indifference and unfaithfulness to God's calls will be punished. Brothers and sisters, the bet, you, you do understand that the safest man in China right now is Pastor Yi. The safest people in Eritrea right now are the 2,800 prisoners who are incarcerated for Christ. They're the safest people. We may think we're saving our skins by not throwing in fully with Christ and speaking the gospel. But the safest people are those who throw in completely to the cause of Christ and to commit their lives into His hand. But boy, we do. Sometimes we get lazy like this, don't we? This is one of the reasons we need the Lord to rule over us because as we see here, some of God's people wouldn't lift a finger to help. They do a lot of complaining. They do a lot of mocking. But they wouldn't lift a finger to help. And we need the Lord to subdue our hearts so that we're willing to be completely committed to Him. Pray for this. But the failings were not just with God's people. There was Gideon had three failings here. I... So it comes time to deal with Zeba and Zalmunna, and uh, Gideon asked him a question. He was like, you know those men at Tabor, a little bit north of here that you, uh, that you killed? What were they like? Oh, they were like, they were like you are. They were like children of kings. And Gideon's like, they were my brothers. They were part of the, the, the people of God, and they appear to have been in his own family. And so Gideon does something here that's tempting, I think, for a lot of dads and elders and and that is he turns God's calls into something of his own personal agenda. And he tells his son, who was a young man, Jether, he says, I want you, you're the youngest, I want you to kill these two kings. And of course, this young man, I, you know, was he a teenager? I don't know, maybe some of you, he got scared to death. He was like, I don't, I don't, I don't kill men. Gideon, at some level, I think here, shows his weakness that he, he wanted his pound of flesh for his own family. Now, granted, it could be said he's functioning as a judge, but that still does not, in the minds of most who have written on this, does not, why would you, why would you put your son in this kind of position? And, and so, anyway, Gideon uh, comes up and he kills the two kings, but that's not all. So they come in verse 22 after this episode. So the Midianites are defeated. The kings are over with. And the men of Israel, we don't know whether it was all of them or most of them, said to Gideon, hey, we want you and your, your children to be kings. We wanna, we're going to start a dynasty. And it's going to be with you. And Gideon says, no. And this is where that line comes in. The Lord will be king over you. But I do want you to do this for me. I want you to give me all your earrings. Uh, the Ishmaelites apparently were well known for wearing uh, heavy jewelry, uh, men and the women and their camels. And so they give Gideon basically what amounts to about 50 pounds of gold and a lot of other things. And he makes a, basically a priestly uh, ephod like the Old Testament priest wore and he makes it out of it. Now, um, there's no way that we can justify this. First of all, I think at one level... Gideon is probably getting addicted to signs here. Uh, remember the sheepskin. Remember the sacrifice that he offered. He knows that he's a long way from the tabernacle. And so if he's going to judge the people, he needs a bat phone to God. 
And so he makes this ephod. And to show that it wasn't honoring to the Lord, it becomes a real stumbling block to his own family. And it basically becomes an idol in Israel. So godly leaders fail. Sometimes they turn God's calls into a personal agenda. They go beyond what God has commanded. But there's something else here that Gideon did in 29, 30, and 31. Now notice he said very humbly, I don't want to be your king. But he, he names his son Abimelech. My father is king. And then he basically takes a harem. Um, that means a lot of wives and a concubine. And even though he doesn't want the outward office of king, uh, he seems to take on many of the prerogatives of kingship, and he indulged his personal sins. Now, that doesn't keep Gideon from being a man of faith, just as we'll see with Samson, who probably certainly had more moral failings than Gideon did. But here we see, again, a confirmation of Gideon's words. Why do we need the Lord to rule over us? One, we tend to bicker. Two, we tend to be lazy sometimes and not really want to lift a finger to serve God. And three, our leaders, dads would say this about themselves, pastors, elders would say this. We, we, we have feet of clay. It's not like a man is a father or a woman is a mother or a grandmother or, or that men are, are, are pastors and teachers and elders and deacons. It's not because we have any strength in ourselves. We need for the Lord to rule over us because we can go astray in these areas just as Gideon did. But there's another reason and a last reason we need to, for the Lord to rule over us. Look what happened when Gideon died. As soon as Gideon was dead, that, that's emphasized in verse 33, the children of Israel played the harlot with the Baals. Israel becomes the paradigm for a harlot. A harlot is one who, 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 who plays false with her husband. And Yahweh was Israel's husband. And he was a father to them as well. Not to, but the metaphors are mixed because the graces are various. But the point here is they, they turned away from him. Maybe they got sick of Gideon acting like a king, even though he really wasn't. But the point is their heart was not right with the Lord. And two things are, are emphasized here. First, they did not remember the Lord who delivered them. How in the world? So this is within 40 years. Some of you are over 40. Some of you are over 50. Some of you are over some other numbers, okay? So uh, you, can, you can remember things that happened in the past. How could they forget the day that Gideon, with his little band of 300, routed 120,000 in the first round, Midianites, and then he dispatched the, the other 15,000 with, with kazoos and trumpets. I mean, just, just, just children's trinkets. How, but they did forget. They did forget. They completely forgot what the Lord had done for them. And this, of course, is going to be very suggestive for us in just a moment. But, but, but please understand here, we as sinners, we forget all that God has done for us. And that's what happened to Israel. And so they just turned aside. And because of that, verse 35, they forgot everything Gideon had done for them. Um, Gideon was as quickly forgotten, okay? Um, be, you know, hey, we, we want new gods. People don't like to be reminded of their past. You know, wokeism in the church today, for example, it's not hard to understand. We, 
The, the Puritans, and if you read John Winthrop and of Plymouth Plantation, and if you read uh, um, John Cotton, or excuse me, Cotton Mather's history of the first, you know, 80 or 100 years in, in our country, it, it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing to what passes for manliness and, and godliness today. And we don't want to remember that. Because that's a, it's convicting to us, and we, we, it's hard to read about the martyrs who stand, stood fast for Christ. It's hard to read Pastor Yee's essays um, on standing for Christ and walking the way of the cross. We, because, and again, you can understand it's hard for us how much more unbelievers. We don't want to read all that. That just brings the light on our own apostasy and failures. This is what happened there. We don't remember the Lord. We don't want to remember what he did for us. We want to follow the bales, and so we're sure not going to remember Gideon and how he turned us to the Lord. Now, how do we apply this to ourselves? Um, and I'll just suggest four things uh, this evening. I know it's been a, a long two days for us, but I hope it will encourage you. And again, remember the idea, the Lord must rule over us. First, how can we avoid forgetting? That's a good question. Peter says, I'm writing these things to put you in remembrance. Remember of what? The Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. How can we avoid forgetting? Well, I think one very simple thing that, that this text teaches us is that all credit for the slightest good goes to God's grace. And so we let that lesson sink in and we think about it and we remember it that if there's anything good that's happened, if I've had one good day, if I've had one good breath, if I've had one good morsel of food, it is all God's grace to me and His kindness to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the ways we've got to take from this text and why we need Jesus to rule over us so that we don't forget. Now, we can add a lot more to that. How can we forget? In Gethsemane, how he willingly humbled himself to take the cup of, of our judgment. He didn't drink it yet. That was on the cross. But he agreed fully and finally and decidedly, I'm going to drink the cup and I'm going to do my Father's will. Have you forgotten this? We do forget it. I forget it. Have we forgotten on the cross how he was forsaken for us judicially? Not that his father ever in any ultimate sense stopped loving him because he was the gift of the father's love. But judicially, the father treated him as the scapegoat and sent all of our sins upon him. How can we forget? But we do forget. We forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. We go to Costco and we're standing in line for gas or whatever it is we're doing and we forget. We get mad. Why are there so many people? Because God created people. So that they would know him. Why there's so many. I want to go live in the woods. Go live in the woods. Okay go live a million miles away. But God created people. So that he could save those people. And show his grace and his kindness. To us. And we can't forget these things. We cannot forget. We need to remember every time. That's one of the reasons the elders here. Every week the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. At least weekly. And then daily as we pray. You know if you're confessing and repenting of your sins every day. And by the way, you young man, you have to understand, if you're on your face before the Lord Jesus every day confessing your sins and believing God's promise of mercy, Satan can't dislodge you. Because if you're drawing near to Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, but here, here, and here, 
I walked in a way that dishonored you. Maybe I said some things. I had some thoughts. Maybe I'm in a friendship that I need to get out of. Would you forgive me? Because I, I, and I know it's only because of you, because of your death, because of your resurrection. This is what happened in Israel. They forgot. They forgot their deliverer. So here's one thing we draw from this at least. Don't ever forget your deliverer. Don't let a day go by when you don't preach the gospel to yourself. And you remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when you're in the middle of, of dark times and as we sang tonight, seasons of deepest gloom, preach the gospel to yourself. Don't forget that God is your deliverer and what He has done for you in Christ. That He's your Father, that He loves you, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, your prophet, priest, and King. And He loved you to the end, that the Holy Spirit loves you. And He agreed to dwell in us individually and collectively, so that that great promise of the covenant will be fulfilled. I will dwell with you and walk with you. Don't forget what God has done for you. And tell other people, America will never, if it's even God's will, for whatever to be saved and whatever version of America you think is worth saving. It's only people. God's not concerned about saving governments and constitutions and ways of life. He's concerned with saving sinners and bringing them to new life in Christ. And you're his mouthpieces. These things don't just happen. God doesn't just save people out of the sky. You are his. We are his witnesses. Don't ever forget the Redeemer and what he has done for us. That's what happened to Israel. They forgot their deliverer. They did not remember the Lord their God. So that's one way we have the Lord to rule over me. I'm going to preach the gospel to myself, to my family every day until preaching the gospel is just a way of life to me wherever I go. Second, no golden ephods, but God's word alone. Um, you know, Gideon, I don't know all of his motives, but you know, at some level, hey, the sheepskin, the sacrifice we already mentioned, and he, he built, he makes himself this golden ephod that he can divine or perhaps know, is this God's will or is this not God's will? They already had the law of Moses. It was already written. The, 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 the Levites had it. They, they knew God's will to the degree that, you know, God's revelation was completed at that time. How much more? You know, well, I'm going to consult this, or I'm going to listen to that guru, or that pie. I mean, and granted, as long as men speak the Word of God, we, we should be willing to listen to them. But again, that's the point. We're not looking for the golden ephods of this life. We're not looking for, can somebody, it's amazing to me, something bad happens, and, you know, we, we quote a scripture, and somebody looks at us like, well, I need something else. No, you don't. You need God's Word. I, well, I need, I need something else in a sermon besides just the unadulterated, raw Word of God. No, you need the unadulterated, raw Word of God. That, that's what you need. That's what I need. That's what we live by. That's what Jesus used. He didn't look for the golden ephod. Hey, I know some secrets out here. I know some real... He could have availed himself of his divine omniscience, but he didn't. He humbled himself and he showed us, this is the way you beat the devil. This is the way you beat the sins in your life. You hold on to the Word of God and you use it. You don't need ephods. You don't need, you know... Uh, Ouija boards, you don't need gangs, you don't need gurus, you need the Word of God. Stick to it. Hold it into your heart. 
Brothers and sisters, we've learned that again so vividly. We do not know when dark, dark thoughts, you don't know. Discouraged thoughts, despairing thoughts can come in. What can drive those away? Good feelings? No. A bottle? No. Pills? No. God's Word. Hold fast to it. Jesus Christ clung to it on the cross with His very nails just holding on. Is my Father's will being done? Is what is written accomplished? This is why I am here. The Scriptures must be fulfilled. And Gideon, as as great as he was, a man of faith, we'll see Gideon in heaven. He forgot this. I need some other way. I need something else. I know you're telling me you read this scripture, for example, and I'll speak to the young people here, have no fellowship with the unfruitful deeds of darkness and, 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 you know, don't get in serious relationships with unbelievers, but I hear this voice, you know, I hear my heart and this person just strums the the, the, the rhythm of my heart. And I, maybe they're not, you know, really Christians, but maybe they will be, okay? And, and maybe God will use me to save them and... Nope, no ephods. And in our day and age, the way we make ephods, and the number one example is our own feelings. I'm going to follow my feelings. God says, follow my word. And my word will shape your feelings over time. Brothers and sisters, do you not know that your feelings are just as flawed and fallen as every other part of you? As your mind, as your will... The only thing that can reform our feelings so that we feel the right thing in the right way about the right things is if our feelings are informed not by the ephods that fly by but by God's holy word. There's another way we need the Lord to rule over us. And and again, this is very, very basic. But boy, I tell you what, in relationships within the body of Christ, and I praise the Lord, so many of you the last... You know, 24, last day and a half. You just have exemplified this to me so much. Do you you notice this weird thing? It's like, why wouldn't they come help Gideon? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they go, yeah, 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 let's go. Hey, he's got Midian on the run. Midian has been stealing our crops. We are starving for seven years. No, we're not going to. We... We don't, we don't like the way, you know, this is looking and we're not, we're not going to get the proper credit. You know, it's funny how our Lord thought about that. Look at Matthew 25. We, we are called to serve one another. I, I don't, this is not terribly complex, but notice here in Matthew 25 as he's talking about the, the future judgment. And, and we've read this before. But notice how important it is for us not to seek anything for ourselves. But to ask, how can I serve? Not to stand back and say, well, let them do it. I don't want to take out trash. I don't want to have to do the low thing. That's what happened. That's why the the men of, uh, maybe we should reinstitute switching. I don't know. But for people who won't serve, not really, of course. Okay, but but that's what Gideon did. You need a switching. Because you're stepping back. When God's people need help, you're like, I'm kind of busy. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, and He will sit on the throne of His glory, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. This very serious division, the final division at the end of history. 
Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And of course, you know, that's just the opposite for the goats. What a strange way to divide at the end. How are the sheep versus the goats known? Well, the sheep are, of course, known because they're the smartest, okay? Or because they have the best of this and they have the best culture and they're kind of the elitist. And Jesus kind of just plows through all that. You know, if anybody ever had room to be an elite, it would have been Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He became a slave. And he says here, this is what I do in my disciples, not serve me. But how can I, how can I serve? How can I engage? How can I be part of your kingdom? And he, notice he, maybe this will help us. Do you notice the personal language? I emphasize the me, me, me. Think of it like this, moms. I I know it's crazy and you think, no, that's not important. But every time you wash dishes, or every time you teach a child, or every time you discipline, or dads, every time you you cut grass, or teach your boy how to hammer, or do something like this, every time we we share a, a, a meal, And we do it unto Christ and we do it in His name. Jesus says, you are doing this to me. You are washing my feet. And maybe we feel that the Lord is so cold and far away because we spend too much time washing our own feet, not enough time washing His feet. And the way we wash His feet is in our homes and in our relationships. How can I serve? Not who can serve me. Not who's going to invite me over, who's going to do this for me, who's going to take care of this. Or we storm through the house, I do everything in this house. Why? If that was really true, let's say that there's somebody here and you know, I know he's talking about me because he's got a camera in my home. No, I don't. Okay. But let's say you're the one and maybe you truly are in your home. You do everything. And nobody will lift a finger and you're like, I'm just like... I'm done with this. Maybe you ought to look at the one whom you should be doing it for. And then suddenly everything takes on a whole different perspective. Lord, if I really am the one who does everything in this house, or or I do everything at the office, nobody else will do a thing. If there's a project, it's given to me. Lord Jesus, if I can do that for you, brothers and sisters, what else are we here for except to serve our Lord by serving one another and one of the lessons of judges is is if we're not willing to do that we need a good switching just like the men of succas now granted we're not going to do that to each other but the point is it's very vivid and we ought to remember this in the light of the last day and by the way please understand it's not t-shirt service you know i do everything around here okay with a smile okay no the, the righteous here, don't eat. Lord, when did we do this? We're not even thinking of ourselves. There's a holy self-forgetfulness that comes in the way of the cross and in the way of grace. I'm not even thinking about it. This is just, I'm looking at my Lord. How can I serve my Lord? How can I honor Him? I don't want to forget my Deliverer and His goodness to me. And that brings us right back to the conclusion of Judges chapter 8. Why did they go back to the Baals? Why did they go back to the world? They forgot 
the incredible goodness of the Lord and the privilege of serving Him. Brothers and sisters, you want personal revival in religion? You're discouraged. I know we all have reason to be that's a little bit different this weekend, but please understand two things. Preach the gospel to yourself and do not forget what Jesus Christ has done for you. And second, devote yourself to washing His feet. How can I love you who has so much loved me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this very simple passage in Judges and we need to hear it and we ask that you would help us and that you would work in us where we have forgotten your grace and where we have built our own little bail worlds where everything revolves around our own thoughts and we don't let anybody in, we smile and tell everybody we're okay and we're really lying. Lord, deliver us from that, deliver us, make us a, our lives to be about you and about what you have done for us. Help us not to forget what you have done for us and help us to serve you for the brief time we're here with all that is in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.